Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Episode 20, Magic, with guest Wendy Freeman. Hey everybody, this is Jerry. And this is Sean. And this is the 20th episode of the Great Expectations Podcast. Total bullshit, it should actually be number 19. Because while I was down and out, due to some lung issues in the hospital, Jerry went behind my back and recruited Steve fucking Raker to fill in for me. Steve fucking Raker. We usually call him Super Steve Raker. Nope. And he's pretty awesome. Now, we've drawn the line. Bitter lover. Yep. Sean, I missed you a lot. You missed a great episode. It was a good talk and you should have been there. I'm sorry that... You couldn't speak because if, your if lungs I, had collapsed. Actually, I found it interesting that you were talking about Dante's Inferno, because if I had been here with the both of you, I would have been in hell. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, ladies and gentlemen, we are here today to talk with a new special guest, someone new to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Miss Wendy Freeman. Hey, friends. Hey. How's it going? I'm so honored to be here. Honored is a strong word. You better wait and see how this turns out before you say honored. I put about in my diary. Aw. Wendy, you're the best. Me too. <laughs> Aw, Sean, yeah. you're still terrible. When, uh, you're a monster. When I was listening for the 17th time to that Steve Raker special, <laughs> I was like, when Wendy gets on, I'm going to invite her to take Jerry's place and then I'm going to kill him on air. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy, please don't be good at what you do. <laughs> I want to live. I'm the best at what I do. And what I do is replace you, Jerry. Wendy, would you constantly hang up on guests? <laughs> <laughs> that was an accident every single time. It won't happen again, I promise. So, Wendy. Yes! You are a podcasting pro who has her own show that is way cooler than this one, and it is called The Double Page Spread. Mm-hmm. And tell us about that show. Well, Double Page Spread, I wanted to do a show where I got to interview creators and have, like, sincere heart-to-heart conversations with creators about, like, uh, uh, you know, just the artistic process and what they do and, uh, and really, I, you know, as someone who's not an artist, I feel it's such a mystery, you know? It's so tremendous. I'm so appreciative of what they give to us day in and day out with this, you know, with comics. So I've had a number mm-hmm. of amazing guests on. I'm I'm getting up to 100 episodes now. And I've had people on like Steve Bissett and uh your dear buddy Ryan Stegman. Oh, he's and, so hot. Uh, yes, he he is hot. And Scotty Young. And I had Chris Glover for some reason came on my show. <laughs> Wait a sec. <laughs> Holy shit. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. I'm you so had nice. fucking Marty McFly's father on your show? Yeah. And I got him to talk like the Shia LaBeouf thing had just And happened. you led with Ryan Stegman? <laughs> <laughs> and just last week, I had uh, the producer of the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune. Have you all heard, seen that? I haven't seen it, but I am familiar with it. 
Yes, yeah, I had the producer of that film came on my show talking about like Mobius and Giger and all that stuff, and it was pretty great. So I'm familiar I, with Dune. Oh, oh, Sean, you're terrible. I know. I'm gonna send you home with it tonight. You're unfamiliar with fun, Sean. It's true. I true. hang out with Jerry. Oh, oh. touche. Man, I'm just close. <laughs> oh, I hate you so much. <laughs> Well, that sounds really awesome, and in fact, it is awesome. I want to go back it... to some Crispin Glover stories. Okay, we'll we'll do that. Because she was going to say something, but I rudely interrupted. Right, right. I was. Go I was figure. Saying, I got to have Crispin Glover on the show, and he like the only thing he knows about comics is Dane Klaus, and so it was really funny because yeah, Shia LaBeouf had just plagiarized Dane Klaus like that week, so I got to be topical with him. About oh yeah. Oh my god. That was a lot of fun. That's amazing. That guy's so weird. I think you and he would be best friends. About six years ago, we would have been two peas in a pod. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We would have been karate kicking the fuck out of David Letterman. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't set me on fire, so that's good. So I have listened to your show. I'll admit, I'm a listener. Thank and you. I think, I think everyone else should check it out, too. They should. And, in fact, I'm sure everybody that's coming here has already been through your your show, and we're like sloppy seconds at this point. So thanks for contributing your listeners. I love it when Slurmo comes on my show. I love having Slurmo and John on my show. I think the Kingbone guys are awesome. The Earth 2 guys are fantastic. And they're always a delight to listen to. They are, but they're never coming on this show. They hate Storm. They hate Storm. Can't happen. <laughs> well, then fuck them. Right? Yeah. I think... John pretty much hates the X-Men in general, but for some reason, he still listens to the show, and I love him for that. Yeah. Slimo just is So he can grouchy. find reasons to, to come at you. Oh, you're probably right. He's looking for material. Yeah. Bastard. Anti-drama! So, Wendy, now yeah. is the time when we ask you, how the hell did you discover comics? My older brother. Best answer ever. Yep, he was a big X-Men fan, and I just started reading his what he left in the bathroom when I was like eight or nine. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) So what time period are we talking here? We're talking this time. We're talking Claremont. We're talking, uh, you know, the the best time period. Like, I was reading, I started reading them on my own, like, up through, like, the Jim Lee and, you know, everything changing over to being, like, five different teams or whatever, but... You know, like the early days of Excalibur, reading, you know, all of the uh, the, the mid-80s X-Men. That was what I liked. And the New Mutants, they were my jam. Yeah! See, Sean, you just came along a little too late. You would have been in the club. You would have been loving New Mutants if you had been just a little bit older. If I had a time machine, I would make my parents have sex much earlier. Well, they did. I, I'd take New just... Mutants from Teen Titans any day of the week. What's a Teen Titan? Yeah, what the hell is that? Are you oh, speaking English? Yeah, you're right. Forgive me. <laughs> I do feel kind of stupid because there are so many people that love Teen Titans, and I am just a complete idiot about the subject. Never read it. I mean, as I, it's funny because I read Teen Titans. I read like George Perez's run and, and so forth. I read like that as an adult, and I just feel as though like, well, maybe I should have been a teenager reading this, but I wasn't. I was reading New Mutants instead, and I love them. Yes. You are smart. And New Mutants gave me Dulcet Cabbage. Mm. Who I saw this weekend. Ooh. 
It was awesome. He had somebody's sketchbook for three years. <laughs> and he del- I was there when he gave the guy the sketchbook back. It was magnificent. Yeah? The guy looked this, so defeated. This is why you should have multiple sketchbooks going. Yeah. Or in your yeah. case, jam pieces. Yeah, jam pieces for life! <laughs> like the wire! So your brother, like my brother, got you into comics, and you were directly pipelined into the X-Men from Jump. Mm-hmm. That was, so that, that was pretty much all that Eric read at the time. So, um, we asked you to pick your favorite X story. And what did you decide you were on to talk about today? I wanted to talk about the Magic Storm and Ileana miniseries from, uh, what year is this? 82? 84? 84! 84! Yes. John Buscema and Chris Claremont. I love this miniseries so much. This is one of the first things I bought as a kid. And I remember the first time I went to a convention here in Detroit, I was just this little kid. Went with my two buddies for the day. It was all exciting. And one of the first things I bought at a con was a coverless copy of X-Men 160. So that I finally had the backstory to this miniseries. Yeah, because I, I mean, I had come along well after this, like 20 issues after, almost 30 issues after that happened, uh, and finding a copy of 160 for what I could afford at the time was really tough to do. But I still have that coverless issue somewhere in those boxes. I wonder what, what it's been reprinted in. If I wanted to read 160 now, where could I find it? I, I know that when I was like, Searching for, um, cause I didn't have, I actually only had one, two, and four, I didn't have three, so I had to go and buy it. And it wasn't at any local shops, but I know that they reprinted all of this in a hardcover. Oh. So I'm sure that 160 would be part of that hardcover. Well, and that might even be. have, I bet you that maybe we should look into that, cause the, the, it'd be cool if the hardcover actually had the Kazar stuff. Yeah. Cause we'll get to that later. Yeah, we'll get to that we'll later. Get to that. <laughs> But yeah, Ileana, I, I, when I read this story, I was, I was eight years old. I was the same age Ileana was in this story. And mm. I definitely wanted to be older. So <laughs> this really appealed to me. The oh, man. Fantasy, the fantasy of becoming a teenager and a demon princess, like in the course of five minutes, Earth time. Like that was a, a very tremendous fantasy. <laughs> I can buy into that. I was thinking about this, Wendy. You play in a rock and roll band, mm-hmm. correct? And you yes. are a drummer. And why don't you tell the listeners what the name of your band is? The name of my band is Demon Familiar. D-A-E-M-O-N. <laughs> I think that's so cool and fitting. <laughs> well, it's funny. Well, that name's actually from the Golden Compass. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, yeah. You remember, like, that's our spirit animals. Those are Demon right. Familiars. That's but awesome. it works here too. It works here too. That's very true. I never thought of that. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome, everyone. You're very <laughs> welcome. <laughs> so you've got all kinds of nerd cred. I like you, Wendy. Oh, I love you. Aww. Goodbye, Sean. I know. <laughs> My fucking plan is backfired. <laughs> you two have hit it off. This is it for me, GX Pod listeners. I'm going to yeah. play you both against each other until I've got two separate podcasts with each of you. That's Whoa. anti-drummer's plan. <laughs> you guys are all just sons of bitches. This is a cutthroat industry. I had no idea. 
What is going on? Can't we all just get along? All right, so I guess we should get into this, huh? Mm-hmm. So this magic series, Storm and Ilyana, magic or magic, Storm and Ilyana, whatever it is, magic. this was a, a four. <laughs> this was a four issue series, as you mentioned before. It was published in 1984. Uh, all four issues were written by the great Chris Claremont. The first two were drawn by my art hero John Buscema, and uh, following him on issue three was Ron France. Ron France, right? The guy that did a million Thor issues. So issue three was done by Ron Friends, and then issue four was done by John's brother Sal, another hero of mine because he drew Rom, mm. which I love. And we should also note who the editor was. Was it Wheezy? Yes, it was Miss Wheezy before she became Mrs. Simonson. She's my favorite. She's my she favorite is. editor. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm awful fond of. Uh, Oh, shoot. Archie Goodwin. Well, that's fine. You can be that way. <laughs> but Wheezy and her ties to uh, Power Pack and New Mutants, I love her very, very dearly. Mm-hmm. And she brought the thunder with X-Factor, which I also loved. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite titles. The 80s were a good time to be an X-Men fan. Yes, that's the best time. The best, Sean. The 80s the were a good time in general. I'm not knocking it. They were a good time. Ronald Reagan was right. awesome. Cold War, awesome. Chernobyl. Cell phones, like awesome. Chernobyl. <laughs> Who doesn't love that shit? Airwolf. <laughs> High five. Oh, that exploding, the Challenger disaster, awesome. Oh, so good, right? Man, it just pulls at the heartstrings. There's that's another Dune reference. The the heart plugs. Yeah. Pulling at the heart plug. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut that out. Okay. Sean's just shaking his head like, I have no idea what you're talking That's about. That's all right. <laughs> Sean has never seen the magnificence of the floating fat man of uh, Baron Harkonnen. That's right. Nope. It, imagine uh, the most awesome thing in the world, and that's it. For some odd reason, I think I have a copy of it on DVD, but I don't <gasps> think I've ever watched it. Oh, you should watch it. Isn't it like 19 hours? I There's a five-hour cool. cut. And then there's also the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries, which is really good. Okay, I did not see that. Yeah, so that bad. and Children of Dune—they're both—they're both really good, and they—they they delve into—they're much easier to understand than the David Lynch film. <laughs> is this going to be another Blade Runner for me? Did you hate is Blade Runner? Not like Blade Runner. Listen, <laughs> I. <laughs> I fall into this weird category like all the time with people where when they find out that I like comic books, they for some odd reason immediately assume that I must like sci-fi. Yes. Yeah. Right. And it was just like, I don't even, it just never was on my, I don't know, it was never on my radar. Like, I mean, it was there and there was stuff that I had seen, but Blade Runner was one of the things that like fell through the cracks and Dune and fucking Mad Max and... If you didn't like Blade Runner, you will hate Dune. I can guarantee it. It's like I enjoyed Blade Runner, but because of everyone building it up, there was this, like, I kept on waiting for something. It's like the same thing with, like, Watchmen. When I read Watchmen, finally. Uh Uh-huh. Like, it was, like, by everybody here read it, right? Yeah. I assume. When you read it, right? Of course, yes. I have two. I'm about to 
spoil the Watchmen book for anyone who has not read it. Oh, I'm cutting all this out. Okay. Um, <laughs> like, when I got to the, to the SATs now. What, like, when I... That's crazy. When I got to the end, I was like, a fucking squid? <laughs> a squid. Like, the, the, the greatest comic book of all time is just a giant fucking squid. Yeah. If I could just read the Dr. Manhattan, like, time explaining the picture thing, that that was one of the best comics I've ever read. And I was like, oh, I really felt totally stupid for never having read this. And then I got to the squid, and I was like, oh. Oh. Well, the mechanism isn't the, really the, the important is, thing. I think that that is a great story, okay? But the thing that, like, how earlier you were discussing, Wendy, like, how we can't be nostalgic for stuff because it never leaves. Like, I, um, I agree with that. And also along with that, like, I feel like there's certain stuff where people will, like, almost admit to liking it because they feel like it, like, if they don't, that they'll be, like, cast out from a society of casted out people. You know, like, mm-hmm. today's a perfect day to discuss this because, like, I can't tell you how many Transformers apologists I saw on Twitter today. I'm just I like, like, I don't like Doctor Who. Okay. Ooh, you got Sean good on <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I don't like it either. <laughs> no, but I mean, I could, I completely understand why people wouldn't, and I, like, I even didn't like some of the cast members because I felt like impressed that they were. I'm looking at you, fucking Amy Pond, had <laughs> herself like way too much for bringing it to America, and it's like, no, there were people that watched it in America, like yeah, yeah. it might have been exploded in a Comic Con, but I know people who were watching it on the three channels that they had back in the 70s, so shut well, the Well, I remember, up. like, I'd always tune in, and it'd be like part 9 of 12, or something, yeah. so I, just, like, I didn't <laughs> want to watch it, I was too intimidated to watch it, like Star Trek, I could put on and I could understand the story, I didn't yeah. need to watch like, all this kind of weird, weird stuff, so yeah, I just didn't. I just didn't get it. But that's how I honestly feel about pretty much all sci-fi. Because Jerry got all excited because I watched the first episode of the new Battlestar Galactica, and then I just stopped because that shit for some reason is like almost intimidating to me. It's like my thing with DC. Everybody, I, I don't read any DC books except I did buy that Superman issue because of John Romita Jr. Oh yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> I knew it. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to return that. Um. And the, the, everybody always assumes that I just hate DC, which I do. But the real reason is, is just because, <laughs> like, it's almost, I can understand why people wouldn't want to get into some comics, because it seems impossible. Right, exactly. Like, 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 I don't I don't read any Batman titles, you know? Like, I don't read any Batman titles, I feel like it's very, very daunting. It must be very daunting for someone who would want to read Batman, you know? Yeah. But I understand why people would say that back to me about the X-Men. Like, really? You don't read DC? Because it's like, I don't know, it's just a weird preference. I'm a weird dude. No, that a, thing you said about me... Like, it's just like everyone has their own sense of nostalgia. Everyone has their own sense of, of you know, it's okay. There's no judgment. No, I, I didn't mean it as a judgment thing. I just meant it in, in, when Jerry said that I love stuff and it's I don't, like, waver. That's also bad because it's like I... Because I don't stray, like, I'm not finding interesting, like, indie titles or anything like that, because I'm stuck in my... Right. Well, once again, I feel like like comics come down to 
you follow certain writers and artists. You know, there are two types of people. There's the people who follow creators and there's the people who follow characters, you know? Mm. And I think it's much more interesting to see to be somebody who follows creators because then you're exposed to a wider variety of things and, you know, then you're exposed to trying to get to the root of what were the influences of this person I love, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's much more interesting to be a person who follows creators than follows characters. Like, I read anything Grant Morrison does as Batman, but I have not had any interest in reading another Batman title in years. Yeah, for me it was, as as a kid, it was definitely following the characters, or the mm-hmm. teams, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, like, I didn't know who was writing a book or who was drawing it. I knew when, when the art was cool, but I had no idea who was drawing it. And I wouldn't have the first idea how to follow them to another book. Because I wasn't connect until I discovered Marvel Age, which was that still being printed when you were reading comics, John? No, they might have tried to like bring it back. Yeah, see, for me it was Wizard Magazine when Wizard Magazine came out, and then I was like, "Holy shit, that guy that I love doing this, he did that," you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You discover that thing, and then you realize there are real people behind these stories that you love, and yeah, you want yeah. more. That discovery was like the best thing that ever happened to me, you know, realizing I could follow them somewhere else and see them. Somebody whose storytelling, I really liked seeing that I could follow them to a new story with different characters. And that I'd like that too. But the, uh, the Marvel age thing, like the cool thing about that was that it cost a quarter, you know, and it it told you all about what was coming up in Marvel for Mm -hmm. a quarter. You could not beat that, you know, and really cool art, by some of the best artists in the business, um, just doing fun stuff, you know, nothing serious. But uh, I love that book. They need to do that again. I think I have a run of it in my basement. They're fun reads, especially. I'll be, going back now, I think it'd be fun. Yeah, yeah, and the way I used to cling to every issue of previews. <laughs> you know, like I get previews every month. I'd be so excited. I'd pour through it. I'd circle things and all that. You know. <laughs> You know what I started doing just this last month is tearing the pages out. Yeah. The ones I want to order, I just started tearing them out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that forever now. All right, let's get back to Magic Talk. Yeah, seriously. What is happening here? So, uh, this whole Magic mini series that we've been meaning to talk about uh, is awesome. And the craziest thing about it is that it takes place... A four-issue miniseries takes place between two panels in Uncanny X-Men number 160, Mm. which is just a really trippy idea, and I think at the time really innovative, probably. And uh, I'm sure it's been copied since. I can't think of any examples, but if it hasn't been, then people are stupid, because it's a great idea. Yeah. I don't think it has. I, I can't think of anything else I've read that took place in a separate thing between, like, two panels and some other book. What do you think, Sean? I, think, I don't know. There, uh, I would assume that there's got to be some Fantastic Four issue where they, like, <laughs> when, you know, I don't know. But not, not that had the effect that this one did, clearly. Yeah. So, uh, for those... Plus, it's weird, too, is that, like, 160 clearly did not come out at the same time as the miniseries, right? Right. When no, did no, it, it came out, like, like uh, two years beforehand. So that must have been really oh. exciting to be like, holy shit, I finally get to see what happens 
in between those two panels. Because clearly something went down. Because oh, she goes in as a kid at one end, comes out as a teenager at the other. Right, so issue 160 basically is the X-Men's... This is coming off of issue 159 when the X-Men faced Dracula. Mm-hmm. Storm becomes a vampire. Great, that was such a great story when Dracula and Storm. That was awesome. Really cool. So the, it's literally the next day all of the X-Men are accidentally, or maybe not accidentally, they're purposefully transported to Limbo and they run into this Belasco guy who is this creepy demon who has made an appearance in Kazar at this point, I think, and he's been banished to Limbo. So um, he has kidnapped uh, Colossus's baby sister, six-year-old sister, Ileana, um, to... Eight. Is she eight? She's yeah. eight. Because yeah, I was My bad. Eight. Yeah. Are you sure you weren't six? Way to Damn pay it. attention to your guest, Jerry. <laughs> well... If I was six, I'd have gotten nothing from this whatsoever. I, I, <laughs> reading this now, I don't know how the hell I got anything out of this. Oh, come on. <laughs> Editor's note. I hate to do it, guys, but I was right. They were wrong. Ileana was, in fact, six years old at the beginning of this story. Uh, so... So they, they are tra- they're all transported to limbo. They're trying to rescue her. This is sort of like the demonic version of Days of Future Past. The story. Mm. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it's like the second alternate universe. Uh, except this time they're actually meeting their alternate selves. Really awesome episode. Any, or issue. I always say episode. I gotta stop doing that. So basically at the end of the issue, they oh, are, man. They're free of limbo, they're escaping, and they're pulling Ileana through. She's the last one through the portal, back to their normal Earth. Um, and Kitty's pulling her through, and all of a sudden she loses hold of her for two seconds. And then she she grabs her again, she finally finds her, pulls her through, and she's aged to 14? Yes. 14 mm-hmm. years old in two seconds. No explanation. And now I've messed up. She was actually 13 years old when they rescued her. The same age as Kitty Pride. And it's crazy. And that's the end of the issue. Now, first of all, can I ask, what was up with the Rasputin family? That they would just let their, like, preteen daughter just go with their teenage son to America to some mysterious school? Like, wouldn't they want to keep her on the farm? Uh, well, I will remind you that it was extremely rural Soviet Russia, and life probably sucked ass, <laughs> I had to guess. <laughs> They're yeah. probably glad to, to you know, give her, a, a, hopefully, a better future. Ironically, maybe not. <laughs> Your daughter's going to become the mistress of limbo. She's going to become a demon girl. So, this miniseries covers what happens in those two seconds in between panels, where Kitty loses her and finds her again. Wendy, wait tell a, us what's awesome about this. the children of 60 cents, Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> what's awesome about this is that all the way through, 
like you, uh, Belasco's manifesting these bloodstones, right? And when he summons all these bloodstones using Ileana's soul or whatever, he's going to be able to let the let all the evil through the portal, right? That's his that's his end game. Uh huh. Right. And so all the way through, you see that Ileana is doing battle with this idea of like, should she become like Storm, alternate Storm? Should she become a mage herself? Like, should she become a sorceress, or should she become like alternate Kitty Pride and become a warrior? Yes. So or she should become like Belasco and just be evil as hell. Right. Because exactly. she kind of wants to. Mm-hmm. If I were to ever get superpowers, there's a good chance that I might go bad. Oh, you would break bad for sure. <laughs> and so I guess I overlooked um a very important detail that when the X-Men escape in 160, they're aided by an alternate, uh, a very aged version of Storm who has become a sorceress, and it's revealed she was once a disciple of Belasco, who, I'm going to admit now, my entire life, until rereading it, I called him Belzacco, and Sean made fun of... I have no... I like, I'm a very literate person. There's no excuse for it. I'm just stupid. Well, when he when we were talking about this on the phone, I swear to God, he called him Belzacco. <laughs> and I could not stop laughing. I actually demand everyone who listens to this podcast to hashtag tweet at Jerry Bolsacco. <laughs> I won't hold it against you. We're going to start that trend. Bolsacco. Yay. Good time. So also throughout this, she discovers her mutant power. So on top of her developing these, you know, demon sorceress powers, she also develops her mutant power, which she never like, fully masters until much later in the New Mutants, which I think was was tremendous. Yeah, she... Uh, I think, eventually, she becomes my favorite New Mutant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, the first issue I ever read of New Mutants was the, the Slumber Party issue. Yes! <laughs> and um, it's a Sienkiewicz issue, it's beautiful, but she scared the shit out of me. She was, like, to me, as a, you know, a pure little eight or ten year old or whatever I was like she was the bad girl that you weren't supposed to talk to you know I was all into rain and her she was so cute and innocent and Scottish and awesome and I was and <laughs> Ileana just scared the shit out of me <laughs> oh she was way too fast for me but uh she quickly became my favorite well she was my favorite because nobody trusted her like everyone was clearly weirded out by her even her best friend Kitty Pride was always weirded out by her, you know? <laughs> and then, like, whenever she'd accidentally teleport people to Limbo and they'd see, like, Sim worshipping her, like, everybody would get freaked the hell out, you know? <laughs> I love that. Sean, you were in for a treat, buddy. Oh, I was into it. <laughs> I dug it. I do have one favorite panel, though. Oh, yeah? On, in issue number one, on page six, there's a there's a panel of Belasco aging. Ileana, mm-hmm. and she starts out as like a sweet, innocent girl. And this panel represents every relationship I've ever been in. <laughs> <laughs> Meet him, sweet and innocent. Oh, that's the face where they start to get pissed off at me. Demon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a true story. <laughs> and then they manifest a soul sword, and it's all yep. over. 
So I take a little piece of it every time. Oh, man. That's what happens. That's what I got at Ileana and Storm, the miniseries. <laughs> so as a concept, this character is easily the best character in the entire X-Universe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Me. Mm-hmm. Conceptually, she's got so much going on that's awesome. She's kind of like girl out of time because she's aged so fast in such a short period of time away from her. She, she's got like the Steve Rogers thing going on okay. where um, half a lifetime has gone by separate from everybody that she knows and loves. She's got the mystic thing going on, which is cool. She's a mutant on top of that. Um, she's now half demon because of the way Belasco is, has twisted her inside she has manifested this soul sword in addition to her mutant powers. She's got this freaky armor that slowly starts adding piece by piece that they kind of dropped and and that was disappointing because that was one of my favorite things about her. It was like seeing where that was going to go because I think it just started with like a gauntlet and slowly spread up her arm and I was like someday she's going to be in a full suit of armor and it's going to be nuts. I want to see what that looks like and it never really happened. Oh, buddy. But um still time. Stars yeah, Stegman. You know, I, I asked him today if he had ever done a magic commission because I wanted to tweet one or uh, put it on the Tumblr during the... He's never done one. That guy he needs to do one for us. I told him if he ever draws her, he's never going to want to draw anything again other than that because she's so awesome. And I believe that. So, yes, I think she's the best. Discuss. Mm-hmm. I second this 1,000%. She is my all-time favorite female character in the Marvel Universe. Damn. That's an endorsement. <laughs> Love her. I mean, there. I, I admit that there are other characters that I like more, but I think conceptually she's got the most going on that's interesting. And I'm surprised people don't do more with her. I yeah. wish that you could talk to every kid who grew up in my age demographic and explain to them what we perceive as bad 80s characters to us. Because your pitch from Magic, like, I'm into it. Like, even after reading this, like, I liked it much more because I am from a different group uh-huh. where my introduction to Ileana was her passing away Dang. of the legacy virus. So all I remember was a little kid and seeing magic and back issues, and then when she... It's like the same problem I have with Danny Moonstar. Like, she wasn't an X-Man when I was into it. Uh-huh. So every time that she comes back, like, when people from your age group are like, fuck yes, Danny Moonstar's coming back, I'm kind of like, what's so great? <laughs> yeah, once you read the Demon Bear saga, you'll be like, fuck yeah, Danny Moonstar. But that's why, like, the part that I'm most excited about the doing the reread with Jerry is, is I... I own a complete run of New Mutants, but I haven't read any of it. And I've been sitting on it for like two years now until we could actually get to it. So everything that we talk about, New Mutants, will be my first experience. Like, this was my first experience. And I like magic a ton more. Enough to even go out today and buy a fucking magic shirt. Yeah, he ordered a really cool magic shirt. Yeah. It's it's a really cool one. It's on the front page of, if you search welovefind.com in the Marvel section, you know, it's on the front page. Oh, it's a good shirt. Yeah, it's like a double profile. One side, she's good Ilyana, and the other one, she's the dark child. Yeah. Oh, hot damn, it's, I'm looking this up right now. It's got a pentagram in the background. 
Because oh. also, I have to admit, I, like, this probably would have, like, if I had read this as a kid, I would have been afraid of it for the whole, like, I grew up in a really religious household where, like, I was strictly forbidden from even, like, going anywhere. Like, if if, the, if my parents caught wind of, like, a Ouija board being at a sleepover, <laughs> I was on fucking lockdown. <laughs> so, like, I could have only imagined... Yeah, it's, it's so funny because this is also very, very much of that 80s time when everybody was afraid of Satanism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, there were a lot of bands. You had, like, Shout of the Devil, you had Motley the Crew, you had Slayer, you had all these bands that were toying yes. with, like, yes. pentagrams and, and that imagery at that time. Yeah, so, Ileana Rasputin would have been banned in my household. But they didn't mind... The first movie I ever saw was Die Hard. They didn't mind me watching get people getting shot in the face, but <laughs> you do some sorcery shit. They're getting locked in the basement, Sean. Getting shot in the face is natural. This is 100% unnatural. That shit can happen when you're walking to school. Well, where we grew up, it could have. But you inviting demons in the house, not going to happen again, Sean. And they can only get in if you invite them. So be careful. I would have known that had I read the stuff. <laughs> So, uh, ultimately, this is a tale of tragedy with, uh, Ilyana being like the most pure character in all of the X universe at this point. She's just this little girl that, you know, doesn't know anything, hasn't seen anything. She grew up on a farm and, uh, and she's pulled into this terrible world, uh, where she's gonna become uh, Balsacco's <laughs> apprentice and help him bring about the end of the world. But she's saved by this elder Storm and Storm's friend uh, Kitty Pride, who is no longer Kitty Pride. She is now called merely Cat. And she's this sweet ninja character that's got ninja swords and she's got throwing she's got stars up her sleeves. Right. And this cool, like, cat mask going on, and, um, this is Kitty Pride being really awesome. But there's a great reveal later in the series where, uh, you find out why she's called Cat now, and it's because Belasco has turned her into, like, a half cat person. Like, her face is feline underneath the mask. Uh, and it's really cool. Read, buddy. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, and then can we give away like what happens to Kitty? Like when she's when when Balsacco turns into <laughs> old cat. Like it's so sad. It's so tragic. And then when she finally tries to communicate with Liliana, and Liliana just like smacks her way out of guilt. Ugh. Yeah, that's a mess. Oh, it's that- so heartbreaking. The the entire four issues is just one giant heartbreak. It's um a story where you're used to seeing the X-Men find their way out and save the day. This is not that story. And this, like, every... I've come to this determination that every other universe that contains X characters, this is how the story goes. There's never a happy ending. Everybody dies. It's misery for everyone. And so you know, and I think this is topical given recent um, rumors about what's slated for the X-Men right now in the 616 universe, total destruction. Um, I think the day is coming where like our X-Men have to face the same fate because in every other universe it happens. They all die. It, like mm-hmm. it's, 
it can't be avoided. Yeah. I that rumor, I'm concerned that it will be a um X-Men are gone from the regular universe. Regular universe continues on, but all the X-Men stuff reboots. And it's yeah. kind of just in its own, away from everything. Pocket universe? Mm-hmm. Have you heard about this, Wendy? I've heard about and I don't know how much I believe about anything until it's done. True. Sure. It's just like that nonsense about how they're going to get rid of the Fantastic Four altogether just to spite Sony Studios. Or something. Like, I don't, I don't believe any of that until I see it. I think that is 100% happening. Because of the the sales of the book are so weak, which is really I think they can do sad it. Because it, right now it's actually a really good book. I yeah, fraction. Yeah, it's I'm fractions. Fraction forever for killing it. <laughs> oh, so okay. Let's see. Let me collect my thoughts here. So, uh, so Storm and Cat have rescued Ileana from the clutches of Balsacco, and um, they are trying to figure out a way to get her out of limbo and save her. And it's revealed that um, the reason they're there is because in their universe, just like in this universe, the X-Men went to limbo to try to free Ilyana. And they were successful. They got her back to her normal world, but none of them escaped. And other than uh, Nightcrawler, Cat, and Storm, they're all dead. And Nightcrawler has been twisted by Belasco into a pretty awesome evil devil version of himself. Which, that issue when she has to fight Nightcrawler is the greatest thing ever. It's, you know, I reading this as a kid, uh, it hurt. That really hurt to read because Nightcrawler has always been one of my favorites and he's such a good guy. Mm-hmm. And seeing this version of him uh was horrible and seeing the way he meets his fate was even worse. Oh now also I loved the point that she made when she's when she's talking about Belasco and she's like, well I, I realize he's a demon, but so is Nightcrawler and he's my, my brother's best friend. So who can I you know, like it, yeah. it it's so interesting that she's she's embraced like she's open minded enough to accept the Nightcrawler's scary looking, but he's a cool dude. So why can't this guy be as well, you know? Yeah, and it's an interesting um, difference between her and Kitty Pride, who instantly kind of rejected Nightcrawler because of his looks. You know, but Ileana was young enough not to know any better or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. She's young enough to be uh, to to be reshaped or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, she's not uh, poisoned by prejudices. Exactly. She doesn't have any preconceptions. Yes. She's, a, she's, she's innocent. Ileana's so innocent. Sean, say some wisdom. Tell us some I story. don't know if I have that much wisdom for this. Like I said, I mean, I just found it to be interesting just from the aspect of, like, finally being able to see what caused her to be the character that she is now. Like, I mean, I suppose part of the thing that where, like, I find it interesting... Um, how you look at it and you're like, she's so young and like innocent that she's unprejudiced towards Belasco. And I mean, that is really an interesting way for that to be written with the whole, she trusts him because it also makes me worry. Cause you know how when you grow up, you're just like told that adults know everything and like, mm-hmm. you're just supposed to listen to them. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of that going on too, where it's like, 
like she's going, you know, he's an adult, so it's like it's really it was interesting to see an entire four issue miniseries written from the perspective of an eight year old girl. Yeah, like I found that, and it was written from the perspective of an eight year old girl, but it wasn't dumbed down at all. Exactly, and I don't think that we could, like, I guess when I was reading this, like the thing that stood out to me was the fact that this won't ever happen again in at least the big two. Like, to take an entire... To, I mean, seriously, to give Ileana a miniseries when she's an eight-year-old. Like, not even... I mean, even magic today, in today's market, would be a stretch. Mm-hmm. So the fact that, like, you were willing to get, like... You were able to get a four-issue Ileana miniseries. Like, that's awesome. I mean, I, you know... It's the same thing, like, we couldn't have Power Pack today. Power Pack would never yeah. happen today. Or even, like, Cloak and Dagger, a Teenage Runaways. Like, that would never happen today either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, the, the everything's so, if it, it, nothing's ever given a chance to, like, even get a hold before it's immediately canceled. Which is the same thing with like, music now. Like, I was talking to the shop about the fact that, like, you know, bands either have a hit right away and they're, you know, easily disposable. Like, you don't get a, this band has three records before they, you know. Right, you actually, don't get to see maturity. You don't get to yeah. see anyone really, you know, you don't get to see anyone go through their own growth cycle. And, I mean, you're also talking about top talent. I mean, you're talking John Bushima and Sal Bushima on, like, a, a miniseries of yeah. Ileana. Like, that, you would never see one of the top writers and artists, like, oh, we're going to do this miniseries. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good because it, gives, you know, up-and-coming people a chance. Like, I I mean, I prefer that now, but, I mean, I just think it's interesting from, like, a... It doesn't feel like a marketing ploy. It actually felt like a story. Right. It didn't feel like they were trying to pump you, you know, it just felt like, oh, this is a really interesting story, and we're going to take the time to tell it. Yeah. And also the fact that this didn't tie into any massive event. Like, it just was what it was. Right. So now, here's my question to you guys. Which route would you have taken... Would you have been the Kitty Pride, like, I've got to go stab this guy? Or would you have been, like, uh, the Storm? Would you have followed Storm and tried to uh, manifest your, your sorcery? Yeah, that's a really interesting thing because she's got... You know what? This It needed two more characters so that she had five things pulling at her like a pentagram. Then it would have been... <laughs> The right. perfect sin. So, so she, she was being pulled in three different directions the entire series. Belasco being one, Cat being another, and Storm being a third. So Belasco wants her to be evil, an evil sorceress. Storm wants her to be, she, she knows that she's, she's got the seed of evil inside of her, but Storm had it too and was able to recapture her soul and, and reclaim herself. So she's like a good sorceress now, mostly. But she's also a realist. And the thing that's really creepy about this is she's like, I love Ileana. I want to save her. But I know there's a possibility I won't be able to. And if the time comes, I'm going to fucking kill her because that's what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And then you've got you've got Kat, who is just like a woman of action. And she this, the straight way forward is the best way to go. You know, we're going to carve our way to the doorway that's going to get you out of here. And that's going to solve all the problems. If it was me... I'm thinking Storm's way seems like the safe route. And I loved the symbolism of the acorn. How she kept trying to manifest that acorn from her soul. 
and it was always rotten inside. Right, because Storm had done the same thing, and she she grew this giant oak tree in this this garden that she had built from her magic. And Ileana wanted to do the same thing, and and her acorn was tainted from the inside, and it would always burst in this inky black goo. Yeah. It was disgusting because and it symbolized her her own soul being tainted. But the only time she was able to manifest anything was when she tapped into her rage. Is when she tapped into her her soul sword. When she tapped into all the anger and that loss. Yeah, that was really interesting because at the end, um, that was very. She, that's not a typical way you would go. That'd be like that'd be like somebody just saying revenge is great. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Like, that's yeah. not a heroic, that's not a heroic tactic. That's very surprising for a young girl to go with that route. And even rereading it, I, you know, I forgot that this was the, it's right at the end when she manifests her soul sword for the first time. I forgot that the story went in that direction. You know, she's, she realizes the difference between what she was doing and what Storm was doing when Storm made the acorn, that she was, um, what is, how does she say it? She was trying to, she was thinking about revenge. Is that how it was? And Storm was thinking about creating something good. Mm-hmm. And that was why hers kept failing. So I thought she would say, I'm going to think about something good and make an acorn. But no, she was like, fuck that. I'm going to harness that revenge drive. And I'm going to make this badass sword that I can kill Belasco with. And she did that after she'd been exiled, like, in the freezing winter of what's left of Storm's decaying garden. You know? <laughs> Yeah, like, that, how long was that span of time that she was exiled? Because that's a while in limbo time, I think. Yeah, it was a couple of years. I think it was a cool mirroring of, uh, or later we'll see Fat Karma kind of go through the same thing in that New Mutants special edition. Mm, in it, the desert. Yeah, that was kind of like the same, her trial was very similar to, to this one that Ilyana goes through. And, uh, and in both cases, I think it was very effective. Um, but Ileana becomes the baddest ass in all of Limbo. And I think Sal's art, especially at the end of this issue, um, I mean, I, I would always call John the better artist, but I think for this story, um, Sal's strengths play better to the story than John's do. Hmm. All four issues are inked by Tom Palmer, so I think he does a really good job of kind of giving all four issues a similar look, but I think that Sal's issue looks like he maybe took a little more time with it, and I think he draws evil faces better than anybody. Like, his, his stuff in Rom, like, you could always tell who the bad guys were, even before they'd tell you, because of their faces, you know? And uh, So, once she starts whipping that soul sword around, I think his, his art just really shines in the issue. Yeah. No, I really liked it. Yeah, and also the way he draws the evil X-Men, the alternate nightmare X-Men. Yeah. Like, that's that's just, like, yeah, that creeped me out when I was young. Totes. Oh, so I wanted to mention this. I, I kind of brought it up before we started uh, recording for the show, but um, so there are some Kazar tie-ins, including an <laughs> awesome mention in issue four. It where um. They bring up Kazar in one panel. I was so confused. <laughs> yeah, so Belasco is kind of lamenting the fact that he's trapped in limbo and kind of spells out that it's because of Kazar. 
and his his slut woman. Is it? Does he call her a slut? He does. He says, "I will be free of this cursed prison." How ironic that those who caused my downfall, the jungle man Kazar and his slut Shauna the She Devil, will be part and parcel of both my resurrection and my ultimate triumph. When I read that today, I was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. Literally, that is all I ever knew of Kazar. I was like, "Well, he's got a slut with him." And he oh, has then I, was, I was really confused because I was when I was reading it, I was like, "Are these statues? Are these them like frozen? Frozen?" And then Ileana burst in and just does not give a fuck and just <laughs> blast the fucking statues with her soul sword and cut. I see like Kazar's heads coming at me, and I'm like, "Is he in there? Is he dead? Is this the end of Kazar?" <laughs> and that slut Shana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they had a bad day. But I, it's interesting because... Uh, like, I'm weird. I'm I'm happy that at this point that I read all of... The, well, obviously not this, but I, I was happy that I went back and read the back issues that I did when I was a kid, like having no concept of anyone's sexual fetishes because Cliff Claremont has some shit going on at home. Hell yeah. Like Professor Xavier in fucking gimp gear... Like, I mean, that's all got, he had to wear, Sean. It wasn't his choice. He's, he's got fucking. I mean, and then it's like, uh, like the 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 Morlocks, and and Jean when she's you know before she turns into the Dark Phoenix when she's in the Hellfire Club. Yeah, like as a kid, I was just like, well, that's a crazy outfit. But now I'm like, I want to have a conversation with Mrs. Claremont. When I was a little girl. I, all I knew was when I grew up, I wanted a job where I could dress like the White Queen. I didn't know what type of job that would be. I do. <laughs> I think I know what kind of job that is. <laughs> you know, you don't have to do it for money. You could just do it for fun. Uh-oh. Did we drop the call right there? Wendy! Is it recording? And We are recording now. Okay. Yeah. So you were saying you wanted a job dressing as the White Queen. How'd that work out? Uh, it, it it did not work out. I still don't get to wear a white furry cape anywhere. That's some bullshit. It's some bullshit. And those thigh-high boots are expensive. Yeah, something should be done about that, damn it. Mm-hmm. There should be a... We need at least one in every household. <laughs> or two in pairs. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah, one pair. One pair. Is that what you were saying? That, I meant a pair. Yes. <laughs> Uh, uh, I've lost my train of thought after that disconnection. What the hell were we... T- How did we get on the White Queen? Um, I was talking about Chris Claremont's fetishes. Oh, right, and also the White Queen. Hello, bitch! <laughs> there we go. We found a way to fit it in. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Chris Claremont is freaky deaky. Yes, yeah. And I know, I'm, I'm kind of into the fur bikini that Ileana wears for most of this. Yeah, that thing's yeah. sweet. <laughs> Uh, when I met Chris Claremont, now that I think about it, he actually hit on my girlfriend at the time. Yes. He did? Yes, you have mentioned that before. That bastard. <laughs> you didn't stop him, though. No, because there was a moment where I was like, I could talk about a weird three-way on the podcast years later. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what the podcast is right now, but I know that somehow... Exactly, yeah. I, I'm not even friends with Jerry yet, but one day I'm going to be able to talk about that time that I watched Chris Claremont have sex with my ex-girlfriend. Yeah. And I, the whole time I was like, could you just recite the origin of Nightcrawler? I don't mind what you do to her. 
Just uh, talking about Nightcrawler some more. <laughs> Call me Kurt. I was at a comic shop. Colorama. That old bitch. The owner told me this awkward story about how Norman Reedus cock-blocked him in a, in a bar after a convention. Uh, <laughs> and he stole, what the fuck? He stole his girl. He stole the girl he was hitting on. Oh, that's awesome. He can have any girl he wants. Why would he do that? Because that dude was hitting on him. So he was like, watch this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Bastard. Yeah. Well, you don't stand a chance against Daryl, man. Did he have his crossbow with him? Oh, I don't know. I don't watch that show. Yeah. I bet you that every single person in Hollywood is just a raging case of herpes. <laughs> and that's how I would get rid of Norman Reedus. I'd be like, yeah, fucking take off with Daryl, but enjoy that firecraft for the rest of your life. Yeah. Chris Claremont. Like he's also, I'm sure he's also a fire crotch. Oh, yeah. That dude's got the herp. <laughs> <laughs> We're so horrible speculating on the venereal diseases of our favorite writers. Yeah, and it's embarrassing because he's totally a listener of the show, I'm sure. <laughs> that Grant Morrison, you know, he is riddled with syphilis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he he's probably too high to ever get around having sex. <laughs> okay. Or it's on a whole other fucking level, man. Yeah. He's in the middle of the desert somewhere. His his soul leaves his body, has sex with another soul, and then it comes back and tells us Yeah, oh yeah. And he absorbs it. This is what <laughs> you should have talked this is what you should have talked to Crispin Glover about, because I assume that that guy probably has some insight into out of body sex. <laughs> we have I'm sorry, I would like to apologize on behalf of Jerry because <laughs> <laughs> We've never talked this much about this type of stuff with any other guest. I, no, all the like time. But I actually am disappointed in myself for not having these types of conversations with Alan more often. <laughs> you know Alan would get way into it. I think the four of us need to get together and have this conversation. Yes, let us do it. As long as somebody cosplays as Chris Claremont, I'm fine with it. <laughs> I've got a black turtleneck. Uh, I'm gonna say if we love fine made a replica of uh, of Ileana's uh, uh, necklace, I would totally get that. Yeah, yeah, I'd totally get a, a soul yes a soul stone bloodstone uh, uh, locket. Yeah. So hey, let's get into this, and you guys can fill me in on it at the at the by the she so she gets this at, in one sixty. Or does she get it at the beginning of this series? Yeah. Oh, the locket? She gets it at the beginning of the series. The locket. Okay, so, so he kind of, he pulls pieces of Ileana's soul out, forms them into these bloodstones, and puts them, three of them, into this pentagram in her locket. And when the story ends, there's three of them. Yes. But the way things stand now, she has four, is that right? Do you remember? I don't know. I think she has four, and I think that fourth one is from Pixie. Huh. Okay. I think she took, I think that happened during, um, Infernus. Okay. Does that ring any bells? Editor's note, I'm pretty sure I butchered this. Go f- read X Infernus and find out for yourself. Get it! Yes. But it, see, the thing is, is that that's not something that I would have ever paid attention to. Like, that would have been a story beat that would have been slightly lost on me, so it would have kind of just 
got lost in it uh-huh. because I'd never read this. So that stuff is like, when Magic shows up, she's one of those characters that I don't really have much of a backstory with. Uh-huh. So kind of, I feel like the worst reader of all time now thinking about this. But there's just stuff that starts to like fall through the cracks. Like, no, it's okay. You just didn't. If that happens with everybody who reads comics. There's always stuff that like you weren't there for. Jerry expects me to reach a level of understanding. <laughs> That only a Buddhist would be able to reach. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm counting on you because you've got the memory for this more recent stuff. I read these and they're like right back out again. I can't remember what but I this read stuff a month is your ago. childhood. So to me, this is all like, uh, like again, to bring up my favorite topic of every episode. You want to talk about Bobby Drake's father? I really don't. <laughs> I'll talk about it. You want to talk about magic? I'm at a loss. Like, when I saw your New Mutants jam piece, I was like, what a piece of shit. <laughs> you take that back. <laughs> I was like, look, I was like, the only one I care about is Rob LaFeld's Sunspot you got going on on the side. It's 1990s Sunspot for me, buddy. Yeah. So that was Tony Fleece, and he kicked ass on that piece. Oh, my piece. God, it's beautiful. It's, he did a beautiful X-Force Sunspot. It's unfortunate that you're going to have to get it covered up. <laughs> I won't do it because Tony is a friend and I I think just he's get, awesome. Just cut out a similar square sun like piece, okay? Uh-huh. Then get someone to do just that size of a new mutant sunspot and then just, you know. Well, I think instead because Tony is is one of my favorite people, I'm just going to try really hard to learn to love X-Force. It does can it, be done. Does it does it annoy you that I bring it up? Like, is there a party oh. where you're like, I hope that no one notices that there's... And then I bring it up, <laughs> and you're like, shit. I just don't want to get in trouble with my friend, that's all. Fair no, it's I, an awesome-looking piece. I it just, is. Like, uh, one time I had Matt Wagner, uh, I, I got him to do a mage piece for a friend of mine. Only he and I had been talking for so long that he wrote to he wrote on it, like, to Wendy, love Matt Wagner, whatever, you know? Ooh. And so I was like, I felt so embarrassed because I was giving it as like a birthday gift, and so I was like, oh, it's actually for my friend Matt. <laughs> so I made, and he changed it for me like to Wendy's friend Matt. <laughs> I was like, such an ass having to ask him to change it, but it, and also the same like I have a you know I have a Starman sketchbook because that's my all time favorite character is, is Starman from <laughs> and so some people have drawn him. In, like, not in his black leather coat, but instead, like, in a long brown, like, trench coat, and it bothers me. Oh, that's not right. That's Gambit. I know! And so I can't tell anyone this. I can't, like, look at it and suddenly look really disappointed, you know? You can. But it's like... It'd be a baller move if you did it. I gave you reference. What point of black leather jacket were you not paying attention to? But Please tell me that you've... Like, looked at something and had that. I, no, I've never, I've never been mean about the commission that I've gotten. So there's still a chance. (laughs) Eventually, it's, there's probably gonna have to be one that's so disastrous that I'm like, you just ruined this entire chance. (laughs) (laughs) But it hasn't happened yet. But you know what Uh, I just realized? I hope it's stagnant. So we were just talking about Tony Fleece's sunspot piece. Wendy was there yes. when he did that for yeah. me. And that is how we got on this topic of having her come on the show. Oh. So really Again, I would like to reiterate that I love that piece, but it cracks me up because like when I saw it, I was like, I, kn- I think I knew what you were going for. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, the original uniforms. And yeah. No, it's. I, I mean, it's now cool. Now I'm thinking of doing a New Mutant sketchbook. I think that should be meant. <gasps> yeah, I think you should do it too. All right. I, I, yes, I agree. Next time you. If I was going to do a, a theme sketchbook, it would be a magic sketchbook. Mm. See, but I feel like magic is too limiting. I need to have like all because I want magma, I want karma, I want all of them. All of this means nothing to me. <laughs> it will very it will. soon. It will very soon. Like I showed you, I was so excited that my new mutants mini mates I never opened until I was talking. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I want cannonball. I want rain. I want all of them. Yeah, you do. It's true because even when. Even when I think Rain is a big whiner, I still love her. And even Doug Ramsey and his stupid power, I still love him. <laughs> you know, like he's, I still love them all. You know, if Psylocke had the hots for Doug and Kitty had the hots for Doug, he had something going on. A big penis. Probably. I mean, the dude was like 14 years old and Psylocke was like, Language what's this love, guy buddy. going on? <laughs> he cracked the code. He did. You know, so now, all right, so now in the future, I had read whatever it was, that magic series that came out a number, a number of years ago. So now what happens? So like Nightcrawler's girlfriend, the witch girl, she became magic for a while? Amanda? Yeah, Amanda. Amanda Sutphin, wasn't that her name? Uh-huh. Yes. I'm going to so, have to make a confession. I have not read this series yet. Yeah, I, I read it and I realized it wasn't all about Eliana and I didn't care. <laughs> It's just like, screw this. Is this the Abnett and Lanning one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I've, good. I've got uh, digital copies of it, but I have not read it yet. So there are like two other people who are also who also took the name of Magic, and it was Amanda Sutton, and there's like somebody else. I forget who else, but I was very, very disappointed. Oh, well, it's probably because um, Ileana's dead at this point. Right, right. So I don't want to read. I don't want anybody else to have that name. Yeah. Now... If you are to um, go back and listen to our last episode with Steve Raker, where we were talking about Kurt's origin and his relationship with we Amanda Sutton, we weren't talking Septon, about anything. Uh, I mean, me and Steve Raker, the guy that really wants to be on the show. That's true. <laughs> um, you'll Can't get a whole that. new appreciation for Amanda Sutton. For my all-time favorite thing was when, like, Kurt shows up and he gives her like the stuffed Bamf doll, and I'm like, and I was yeah. at time. I remember thinking like. Did he have a doll of himself custom made? Because where was the merchandising? <laughs> I, I just I just read something online with um it's um it's Dave Cockrum's wife named Patty. I think that's right. She was on a message board and she was kind of a little bit raging. I saw that. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that she talked about was the fact that they desperately tried to get Marvel to like make Banff dolls. And they just—I I couldn't remember. I can't remember what her reasoning was as to what Marvel said that they could. I think. Oh, that's right. It was um too similar to the Smurfs. The Smurfs had just come out, oh. and the Smurfs had like dominated everything, and so they were like, it would be pointless for us to make that because the you know and and I guess someone made Dave Cockrum one of those, and she kept it, and it sits on her table at conventions, and she says that she just gets offered you know thousands for it every time that somebody you know who really wants it takes a look at it that's amazing i would love to have oh man that's amazing good for her i'm glad she has one but yeah that's crazy the smurfs yeah 
Like a like a blue demon in a red jumpsuit is anything like this, right? But it's weird that that's the way that like I don't know, there's always some big wig there and it's gonna fuck everything up. That's why like those rumors came out about like the Fantastic Four thing. It, like it wouldn't surprise me if there was some fucking cigar chomper at the top of Disney that was like fuck this shit. We don't need it. We got you know four point five billion dollars worth of movies. Yeah. I don't know, man. It seems like a bad way to protect your IP I, for the future. Yeah, but, you know, you guys have me super excited to read New Mutants now. I don't want to oversell it, but it's so no, but it, fucking I mean, it's, good. It's one of those things where it's like I've been anticipating it since, obviously, like I bought or I didn't buy it. I wanted it in a bet. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I mean, I've been looking forward to it since then. And, and the way that everyone, like, especially, like, the way that you guys talk about it and and um, everybody that seems to kind of be in that, the way that everybody talks about it with such reverence, like, how could I not? And, I mean, one of my all-time even favorite comics was X-Force number 44 because it was when um, Cannonball graduated to being an X-Men. And I remember as a kid reading that, honestly, like, it was a great time period for me because it was, like, you know, a little too naive. And kind of thought like, oh man, one day Nightcrawler and Colossus inside they'll all retire and, you know, Storm won't be an X-Fan anymore, but mm-hmm. Cannonball is gonna, you know, and I better find out more about these kids because, you know, I was dumb enough to think that like one day the Generation X kids would be full-fledged X-Men. You know, and it's sad that that never kind of... They really gotta find a way to make that work because they, they were moving in that direction even when I was young, they, I remember X-Men Annual Number 10. Art Adams drew it, and it was the whole X-Babies thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mojo turned them into the X-Babies, and the New Mutants were like the grown-ups. And yes. they broke out their graduation costumes, you know, and they were like full-fledged X-Men at this point. And they saved the day, and then they go back to being the fucking New Mutants again. And it was really shitty. There was a... There was a um... I haven't read the initial run of New Mutants, but everything that's come since then, I have read. And the one that came out just a couple years ago, um, right before, like, Necrotia uh-huh. or whatever, um, reading that, like, I was actually pretty irritated because it was like, you saw Cannonball, like, backslide. Yeah. Like, he was a full-fledged X-Men, and all of a sudden they come up with a New Mutant series, and suddenly he's like, oh, back to being not a leader. Well... The the leadership mantle between him and Danny has always been kind of up for grabs. And there was some traumatic event that happened in that series, right, that rattled him really bad. Yeah, I mean, it was so, previous in X-Men, and I understand it, but it still kind of felt like it was... Was it when Nightcrawler died? I don't remember. No, it was, it was before then. I think it had more to do with, like... Um, Age shit. of X? I lost it. No, because it was way before then, too. Um, I had it, dude, and I lost it. No, because I feel like it had something to do with Mystique infiltrating the team leading up to, like, Hope's birth. Oh. Like, I think he was, like, shaken because of, like, that particular team. Like, that... The Messiah Complex stuff, or right before that? Like, right before leading into that, and then that kind of just didn't help. So before, um... Something that happened in the carry run. Yost and, uh... Yeah. And, um... What's-his-name's X-Force? Yeah, Kyle and Yost, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure I would have read it, but I cannot remember what it was. So, speaking of New Mutants, 
Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things about this cover, it, re- it reminded me of um, my least favorite New Mutants artist, which was Brett Blevins. But, ironically, one of my favorite X-related covers of all time is the cover for Magic Number no. 4, which was drawn by Brett Blevins. And it is... It, Wendy, it's got everything you'd want. you got yes. Magic in a half shirt. Mm-hmm. And everything that I want, because she's like, oh man, <laughs> she's still a teenager, so I don't yeah, want to be too naughty. To but she wasn't it. a teenager, or I wasn't grown up when I read it, and that that was fuel. <laughs> <I'm> Jerry, <laughs> what was it about the eighties? The eighties was great because it was the time of underboob. Am I right? Yeah. There was a lot of half-shirt underboob going on in the 80s, and I feel like uh, I, I would like to celebrate that, and this certainly almost does it. I think it should have never stopped. <laughs> right, Bring back the underboob. Yeah, underboob is better than sideboob. Hashtag underboob. Yeah. <laughs> ha- hashtag underboob, hashtag balsacco. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start a balsacco tumbler. <laughs> he needs his own Twitter account. Fuck yeah, Balsacco. That's what it's going to be called. Balsacco with the Balsacco Twitter account, would he just be like, be really, really dirty, like saying sleazy things to Storm and Eliana or something? What would Balsacco do? He would just <laughs> talk about superheroes, slut girlfriends. Yeah. Like he would, he would, it would This just is be all because of that old bitch. Yes. <laughs> it, so he'd do that and he would try to make everybody evil. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Kazar's slut girlfriend. Uh, who's who he's gonna sacrifice for a bloodstone? You know. Hashtag that slut Shanna. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, so good. But yeah, that cover for number four is. I, you know, I was searching the internet, thinking that the original art has got to be somewhere. I haven't mm-hmm. been able to find it. So whoever the owner of that piece is, is a selfish bastard. They need to share it with the rest of us. It's probably mm. pulped somewhere. God, I hope not. God, I hope not. Please still exist. I'm going to track this down. Now this is going to be my life's mission. I'm going to pulp it in front of you. <laughs> oh, good luck. Good we'll luck. both cry. You'll have to sell both of our houses to get that cover. You think so? I'll bet that cover would sell north of twenty thousand dollars. Somebody's just got too much money. Yeah, it'll Holy probably shit. show up in an episode of Comic Book Man or something. We'll all be like furious. Yeah, you didn't see that, Tom Palmer? No, because I'm looking at it upside down right now. Um, uh, so there's a grimoire in the bottom right hand corner, and it's signed by Blevins and Tom Palmer, but it's signed upside down oriented towards her and I never notice it until now when I'm looking at it upside down. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah. I'm an idiot. No. (laughs) What else? Are we missing big important points of this? I feel bad because uh, there are going to be lots of people that haven't read it and I hope we've connected all the dots properly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, let's talk about what was going on. I forget when she does run into New Mutants, she runs at them for a <gasps> second, uh, yeah. using her teleportation discs. 
And and like I said, my favorite thing ever is the fact that she was never in control of when or where they're ever going to go. Like, she would get kind of close, but she'd be like a week in the future. So, like, it never quite worked for her. So what was going on in this new mutant story when they run, they're in a cave and they run into her in bed? Yeah, she teleports them. They're in a car with Stevie. Mm-hmm. And they get teleported into limbo, and they're like, what the fuck is going on? Now, here's my question because of that. It happened in New Mutants number 14, because right. I remember reading the footnote, not because I was interested in reading New Mutants number 14, because I was like, that fucking Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> now i got to read another issue. So, um, in you guys have read New Mutants. Am I in for a between-the-panel shot of this happening? Like, are they going to get blinked out and then come back in number 14 and be like, what the fuck was that? I have no memory of that happening. I know! And, and I didn't have time to go back and read it. Because that is a dropped ball if it doesn't match up because of how well they matched up everything else. It absolutely has to match up. I'm sure it's going to match up. Oh, it has to. Now I'm so excited. Now I want to reread all the New Mutants. And well, it's cool because... Jerry's going to fire me, you're going to take over, you guys are going to be the New Mutants podcast. <laughs> you are going to read the New Mutants and you are going to love it. And it's all your... your the New Mutants are going to become your fucking Bobby Drake's dad of I'm the I'm going to read the New Mutants and I'm going to be like, God, I can't wait to get to the Rob Lefeld stuff. Yeah, that's probably true. That's I love probably true. Is that, is, what's his name? Liefeld. Oh, yeah, Lefeld would be like L.E. Lefeld. Yeah. He'd be like Cajun or something. Yeah. Or Balsacco is like I like one of to my call. favorites. Liefeld. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me just say, I really, really enjoyed hearing Rob Liefeld on EOC whenever it was he was on recently. I, did too. I love him being interviewed. I think he's a really smart guy. Yeah. I he, think the that first half has, was yes. awesome, and then he went completely off the rails at the I end. I think that he's an awesome dude because I think that he gets everyone pumped up about comic books mm-hmm, for an mm-hmm. hour and fifteen minutes. And if you yeah. have him for an hour and 16, like the, the, um, excitement level drops and you start to see like the, I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Everybody else is wrong thing kind of pops through a little mm-hmm. bit. The arrogance. I, anybody that gets excited about comics, I'm excited because it like instantaneously jazzes me up, you know? And he's really great at that. Yeah. But there's always like a line where that it gets crossed and it's like, like, he lets the whole, like, I don't let anybody bother me anymore because I'm an adult about it and I've grown up. Like, and he keeps that up and keeps it up and then you can tell that, like, yeah, just like any other human being, constantly getting shit thrown in your face would start to wear you down. Like, yeah. any of his issue or anger or anything, like, I would never hold against the dude because it's like, you were the whipping boy of the, you know? There are people who have never even bothered to read any of the stuff that he did in the beginning who just immediately are like, that guy's a fucking hack. Like, that would well, suck. He's such a punchline. Like, I yeah. feel bad for him. It's like, oh, he can't draw feet. You know, he's just become such a punchline. And it's just, it's sad because I loved it when he was railing against the DC editors and stuff because he's the only one who's saying what everyone wants to hear. Right. Yeah. And the other thing that I honestly appreciate, like, even though I understand that, like, dudes never hugely progressed in his art find a fucking person on the planet that wanted to draw comic books to start when they're 19 blow up that huge you know how many stupid idiotic mistakes i made as a 19 year old 
and how arrogant and cocky and just a like I was talking to somebody at my work today because I've I've been at my work now for almost ten years and like I was we were talking about when I first started and I was a fucking jerk like even worse than I am now Jerry. <laughs> I can't imagine you can imagine <laughs> and it's one of those things where it's like I I don't yeah like I would not have fucking like okay when I was Jerry hates when I talk about my band but like when we were playing shows and fucking touring. I didn't fucking practice. I didn't get better. I went through the motions and was able to play every night, so it appeared as though I was getting better. But, like, I was just fucking drinking and dicking off. And that's what happens when you're that young and you fall into something that's easy, you know? It's like, he fell into the fucking most kick-ass thing imaginable. Uh-huh. And, of course, like... Yeah. He's gonna, you're going to look back on it and be like, what a fucking weirdo but it's like he was a fucking 21 year old kid who got he was able to buy a fucking yacht because he like drew comic books that's fucking insane and everybody else that like shits on him would have done exactly the same thing if they got the keys to the kingdom at 20 years old he, he broke a lot of ground he broke a lot of ground for a lot of people but the problem is is that like now when everyone's able to, like, kind of go, all right, dude, like, that was awesome that you did that when you were 20. Like, he hung his hat on that, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. there was never, like, a, I'm going to fucking show you guys. Like, if I was that dude, I would have come back fucking five years later and drawn every fucking comic book. Every Everybody would have had their feet up in the air. Every fucking character would have been kicked back in a lazy boy with their feet in the fucking air as a big finger to everybody. <laughs> But he didn't do that. He came back and just did the same shit. Well, I think I think this last go around with DC, he was really trying to do that. Yeah. And I think um I think everybody just saw that he wasn't doing it. Like he he his heart was in it, but he didn't have the the technical ability to to pull it off. But too, though, unfortunately, like no matter what he does, I think that he'll always, unfortunately, have that stigma because people won't let it go. It's like, it's a rare occasion where you, like, get a Justin Timberlake who can, like, reinvent themselves. But you don't, you're never going to see that with Justin Bieber. You know, you're not going to see that with somebody else because it's like, it's a rare breed to be able to, like, completely change your opinion through sheer, like, force of will and coupled with talent. He's got the will and, like, the drive but I don't think that like I don't think that anyone would ever give him the credit if he did turn that corner. So what's the fucking point? Right. That's it's like what I mean. Like Tom Cruise. It's like how Tom Cruise's entire career was ruined by, you know, uh, him jumping on Oprah's couch. Yeah. Like do the one thing or Howard Dean or whatever. Like you do one thing and it just never leaves the consciousness. It takes a long time to get people to pay attention to what you are good at, you know? Think about it, Jerry. Like how long were you stuck with Dusky Goddess? <laughs> a while right what but i wish it oh uh so uh the second episode we did uh was i talked about new mutant special edition number one and uh we were talking about how loki was calling storm a dusky goddess <laughs> and uh and so i just read what he said and, and it kind of like stuck with me that i called her a dusky goddess for several episodes yeah um <laughs> I was just reading what the fucking book said. Yeah. Loki's a dick. 
He's a dick. I'm, I just, and she is a dusky goddess, goddammit. She's hot as fuck. Damn right. Did you, did you ever, did I ever show you the second mock-up of the last episode's artwork? No. Cause if you looked really closely at the part that says, that like introduced Doctor Strange, it actually says, um, Master of the Masturbatory Arts. <laughs> <laughs> and it says Jerry McBrown. Oh, that's it really good. Doctor Strange. Why didn't we use that version? Um, cause you had already sent the file and left when, uh, the Baron sent it to me. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. I will use that one from now on when I tweet about that episode. Um, that's awesome. That was a really huge um, diversion about Rob Liefeld. Sorry, I keep on saying it wrong. Yeah. Um, I mean, he deserves his props for what he did for rejuvenating the title because New Mutants was in the crapper at that point. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it doesn't really hold up, I don't think. Yeah. No, unfortunately, that's like the one problem I have with this is like, I have to almost, because you know how when I was reading this, you were like, look at it like you're a kid. Please promise me that you'll do that. Uh-huh. Like, I have to do the same thing with that early 90s X-Men stuff. Like, I have to look at all that stuff and go, okay. Like. Yeah. This, you know, it's funny. This, I, I thought I was going to have to do this, but I think I would enjoy reading something like this, something new like this now as an adult. And it probably because it would play into that nostalgia factor for me. But the whole, um, like mystical demon, like that is an untapped market right now. Yeah. Well, up until recently, because it seems like there are a shit ton of books, fantasy books that are about to hit the market this summer. And I think it's going to be like a, a rejuvenated genre, but, um. I also like the fact that magic's being used in Bendis' Uncanny, and I like the. Yeah. Connection to Doctor Strange. And... I want more of that so bad. She's ready for another miniseries to me, like a Magic and Doctor Strange miniseries. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I, there isn't enough space in the book to take care of it otherwise. Yeah. They have to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so funny because I feel as though all the mystical characters in the Marvel Universe have always been kind of shortchanged. Like, you had Defenders, and, you know, but I feel like there's so much more because... I don't know. There's so many more cool mystical type characters in the Marvel Universe than there are in DC. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, I I have to admit that's one of the things that I liked about this too was that how I was talking earlier about how I kind of focus on certain things and stick with it and I'm not really broad in my like love of nerdy things. Like as far as I get into sorcerers and mystical stuff is like watching Harry Potter. So this was nothing wrong with that. No, 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 no. There's nothing. But I mean, even like, I'm not like a fan of Lord of the Rings. You know, like I, I'm just fucking weird, dude. I like X Men comics, and and that's and that's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I, think I love that about you. You're now one of my favorite people. He likes cool stuff. But anyway, we should wrap this up. Yes, yeah, let's wrap this up. Let's put a bow on this bad boy. Are you gonna come back for Demon Bear, or did we bum you out? Yes. Fuck yes! <laughs> Let's make it a date. We're going to bring Wendy back. We're going to talk about some Demon Bear action, some Chris Claremont, Bill Sienkiewicz awesomeness. And that will be in approximately three years when we finally get to it, Wendy. So put it in your calendar. I don't think Demon Bear was that far. No, but we haven't even gotten issue one yet. Yeah, but I think, yeah, but... Are you going chronologically? Yes. Yes. 
I, I like it's just one of those things where it's like I think that by the time that we start to get into like New Mutants being around and Excalibur being around, I think our recaps of issues will have to be slightly. We'll have to bullet because I actually like this was kind of nice, like bullet pointing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, this is kind of what we were going for all along, but we always fall into that trap of, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. So people will just be forced to go out, find these issues, and read them, because they're going to be in the dollar bins. No, they're not. Number three was not. I had to spend seven bucks on eBay. Damn. Yep. Well, with shipping and shit. You know what's terrible is that's the worst of the four issues. I refuse to go digital. Um, and I'll bet this falls into, we've been told by a listener that everything we've ever talked about on this show is available on Marvel Unlimited. So for those of you that are struggling to keep up with what we've talked about, go get that. It's cheap and you can catch up. Yeah. Wendy. Yeah. Since you're ready to, uh, (laughs) yeah, that was my Jimmy Stewart pause. Um, I would like to hear you pimp some things. Tell the people, tell all the listeners that you have brought to us from your wonderful podcast where they can find you and get in contact with you so that they can tweet Balsacco, hashtag Balsacco at you to convince you to take over for Jerry. Well, I love, I I would love it. And you can always tweet anything you like to me at, if you want to tweet personally, at DFWendy with an I. So it's D-F-W-E-N-D-I. The D-F stands for Demon Familiar, the band's. Or yeah, plug the band, want... too. Jerry yes, hates yeah. bands, so plug the band. <laughs> so, Demon Familiar is a... We're a power pop band. So, if you're into, like, melodic garage rock and that style of Cheap Trick and Big Star and that type of thing... You're speaking my language. All right, there you go. We're, we're best friends. So, you can listen to us on Spotify, or you can download our albums on iTunes. Or you can... Uh, I make a series of hip-hop drum videos that you can check out on YouTube. If you want to see me, like, playing drums over Ghostface Killer tracks, that type of thing, I do that all the time. I did not know that. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. They're pretty dope. So you should my Friday night taken care of. <laughs> so I do a lot of things, and so those are the things I do. I love talking about comics. I love playing music. I like talking about movies. So sweet, Wendy. So, I have this secret dream where I want to move to Chicago and have <laughs> Chloe and I take side by side drum lessons from you. I would do that for you. I would love that. I think that would be the best thing ever. That would that would either break you up or keep you together forever. Well, this is my daughter, so I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want us to be together. Not together, together. <laughs> Holy shit! I've had three different students of mine go on to form bands with their husbands. So I like to think I'm good luck for that type of thing. Oh, that would be cool too. I'll bring <laughs> Melissa along. There you okay. go. How old is Chloe? How old is your daughter? She's six. All right, give her two years to get more of the motor coordination. All right, yeah. Because you're doing a lot of different things. Let her read the Magic miniseries. Yeah. <laughs> so then yeah. it'll be a choice. She'll be torn between me and you. Will she either become like an evil sorceress or a cool drummer? I'm not either of those things. I'm, an, <laughs> I'm a fat slob. No. <laughs> Come on. She'll be obsessed with jam pieces. Oh, <laughs> Baron... Got the best fucking burn on you today. <laughs> yeah, it was something about your jam pieces, and he was bitching at me, and he was like, "You fucking tell that round mound to loser town." <laughs> <laughs> Why am I the round mound to loser town? Oh my god, it was awesome. 
I almost crashed my car. I was laughing at that. Well, not that I was looking at my phone when I was driving. Yeah. <laughs> he was just messing with you because yeah, he was I know. I saying too. about how much better that Cannonball sketch would have been if it had actually been the Baron. Oh, yeah. That was funny. Uh, so where can they find your podcast, Wendy? You can find my podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher or on Libsyn. And uh, you can find me on Tumblr at doublepgspread.tumblr.com. But yeah, just look up Double Page Spread wherever fine podcasts are sold or whatever. <laughs> and uh, tune on in. I'm doing a live episode. I'm doing a live episode in uh, early July where I have a guy who's the director of a documentary about black nerds. So I've got I've got that guy, and I've got a uh, Terry uh, Terry Gant, who's the only African American comic shop owner in America. So what? we're gonna do a whole like black nerd episode. You're telling me there's one black comic there's shop. There's only one. There's only one African American comic shop owner in America, and he's in Chicago. It's just yeah. shocking to me. It it's is shocking, shocking to me. It's totally shocking, and it's funny because I know another one who's managed to buy a black guy, but it's not owned by him. So. Well, I'm really excited to hear that. And, Wendy, it's been really great talking to you. Thank you. I'm so happy to have been here. It's been wonderful. Thank you for getting me to my in, into my first foray of the New Mutants in chronological yes. order. Oh, you're going to hear us gushing gush over some demon bear. Yeah. I look forward to it. It's going to be the giant squid all over again. Shut your mouth. I'm going to be sitting there and I'm going to be like, fuck you guys and your stupid bear. <laughs> <laughs> Guarantee that's not going to happen. I'm going to start a rival band with Jerry and his drummer wife because that's yeah. going to happen, and we're going to call ourselves Demon Bear. <gasps> and we're going to—I'm going to dress like a bear. I think we're going to sell it together. I think we're just going to need to tour together. Yeah, Demon Bear, Demon Familiar. I already got the side project band Hail Hydra going with the Baron. He's a musical <laughs> type, isn't he? Oh yeah. Hot. We're going to dress up in Hydra soldier suits, and we have the banners, and the, the drum set's going to be on a big riser, and we're going to have strippers come out dressed like Viper. Ooh. It's going to be amazing. And, and really, it's just going to be an I Hate Captain America rally. Right. We're going to talk shit about the U.S. soccer team. It's going to be amazing. You dicks. <laughs> All right. So on that note, everyone, thank you for listening.
You know, I can relate to that a little bit because I, I kind of am the same way, but, um, and Sean is the complete opposite. Like comics have been, comics and music have been his two passions forever. Mm-hmm. So he's got the consistency and I, I bounce yeah. around a little bit, but I mean, comics for the last almost 15 years for me now, yeah, yeah, at least 10, like very passionate about them. So I guess it's not a fleeting. Yeah, thing. that's not a fleeting thing. You know, in in my Buddhism, we talk about how you have two things. There's faith like fire and faith like water. And faith like fire is when you're, like, super hot about something. You're really, really into it. You're devoted to it. But you don't want that because that burns out. You want faith like water, which is where you're steady and you're consistent and it erodes mountains over time, you know? Damn, So that's that's what, that's the difference. That's, you know, it doesn't do any good to have comic faith like fire. Cry for the moon. 